Yeah, hey, my relatives. Hello, this is Mark Charles. It is uh, Friday, August 18th. I'm sitting down with my second cup of coffee. I'm back after a trip to New Mexico where I spent some time with my family and picked up my daughters who were visiting my parents for a few days. And so this is my first second, copy of, second cup of coffee of the week, but I wanted to make sure I did one before the week ended because there is a lot going on that we need to talk about. Um, some of the stuff I'm going to discuss today has not been in the headlines, but it's still very important things we need to discuss. But before I begin, let me do like I always do. I want to acknowledge that I'm speaking to you from the land of the Piscataway. I'm in now what's called Washington, D.C., and I want to honor the Piscataway as the hosts of the lands where I'm living. I want to thank them for their stewardship of these lands, and I want to just state how humbled I am to be living on these lands today. I always enjoy going back to New Mexico, spending time with my family, seeing relatives, seeing friends, but also I love being back uh, on Denete, on our Navajo lands. I love being back between our four sacred mountains. I love the expansiveness of the sky. I love the stillness of the air. I love the quiet that exists. I love the stars that you can see in the sky. I really, really enjoy going back there. And it's always, even when it's just for a short trip in this last trip, I was on the ground for less than 52 hours probably. Um, but it was still a really good time just to be home and to be back uh, among family and relatives. Anyway, um, so I, I, Obviously, there's a lot going on with Donald Trump and his indictment in the state of Georgia. Uh, there's a lot going on with the campaigns and the, the, the Republican debate that's coming up. Um, also, with the horrific fires going on in Maui, or that happened in Maui, and the massive devastation of the loss of life there. Um, my prayers are with the Kingdom of Hawaii and the, especially the indigenous leadership of those lands. Um, I can only imagine how horrible it must be to see your islands burn the way they have watched them burn in these past few weeks. Um, and my prayers are with the leaders of the kingdom of Hawaii and that they will help their colonizers learn how to live better within those lands and to live more sustainably within those lands. Um, anyway, uh, there's been a lot going on, but I wanted to talk today a little bit about water. <laughs> and there's a few things I wanted to discuss. And first, before I get into all this, let me see who's on with me. Uh, Shantina Yate, thanks for joining. Mr. Phil Fox, thank you for talking and joining this morning. It's good to see both of you on here. Um, so I want to share with you an article that I had a chance to read. It came across my feed the other day um, as I was looking at some of the articles I wanted to uh, discuss. And this one came up. It was in the New York Times. And it's titled, I'm just going to put it into there. It's titled, um, Why We're All Water Bottle Freaks. Or We're All Water Bottle Freaks. And it's a time, it's an article in the New York Times talking about um, the fact that the United States citizens are, are drinking more water, which is good, right? As we tried to teach our colonizers a few years ago, water is life, right? You can't drink oil, water is life, um, even more so than soda or even coffee, 
right? Water is so very, very important to do. I um, personally work very hard to drink at least 64 ounces of water, about a half a gallon of water a day. Um, usually I drink closer to 80 to 90 ounces of water a day. But um, drinking water is very, very important, especially if your choice is water or soda or anything else with sugar. Um, you know, drinking water, flushing out your system, hydrating yourself is very important. And so I want to encourage all of you to drink as much water as you can and to drink as little soda as possible. And even it took me a long time, but <laughs> to take sugar out of your coffee, right? I put cream in my coffee, but I don't put sugar in anymore. Um, mainly because I wanted to be healthier and not get so many empty calories from anything I was drinking. But water is important. And in this article in the New York Times that I just posted, I shared in the comments, um, they talk about how, and it's kind of a fun article, uh, points out some ironic things, but uh, it talks about how we're drinking more water. And I'm just going to read a few of the stats. They said, Americans are drinking a lot of water, but they're on the fence about how best to do it. More than 2 billion in reusable water bottles were sold in the United States in 2022, up from about 1.5 billion in 2020. This is according to Greg Williamson, the president of Camelback, which is the maker of reusable water bottles. So... You, if you see me traveling or you see me around, you know that I am always carrying my water bottle with me, especially when I travel. Um, it's about a 22-ounce water bottle, I think. It's uh, aluminum or metal. And uh, I use it all the time. I carry it with me wherever I go. If you've listened to me, you also know I lose these things constantly. <laughs> <laughs> I've left a slew of these in rental cars and in airport airport seatbacks and other places I go. Um, it seems like I'm ordering a new one of these every few months just because I work. I, I, I like to have a reusable water bottle and um, I use it a lot, but I also lose them a lot. I remember there was one trip I took about maybe four, three or four months ago, it was in the spring, and I lost my water bottle while I was on the trip, and I, I wanted to have something I could use in the airport, and I didn't have time to go find another reusable water bottle, and so I stopped by a convenience store as I was driving to the airport, and I bought um, some bottled water. Now, I was very careful to choose the water bottle I chose. I wanted to get, it was a, it was a one-time use water bottle, well, it's supposed to be. Um, you can see this is a bit rugged. I've been using it a lot. But I, I wanted to make sure it had a good mouthpiece on it and that it was something that wasn't just drinking out of the top, but had a fairly decent mouthpiece on it. And so, and I wanted something that was a little more sturdy. So I, I bought this water bottle for about four, three or four dollars. Um, at, at a convenience store, some gas station, and I bought it knowing I was going to try and reuse it. Now, believe it or not, this bottle has actually lasted longer than my replacement water bottle that I got, but I use this one mostly at home. I use it around the house. I keep it by my bed at night. I use it when I'm around the house. This one I mostly keep with my backpack, and I use it when I go out and I carry it around, or also if I want to have a light backpack, I'll take this one with me because this bottle is a bit lighter than this one. But so I have two water bottles. Um, I don't purchase one-time use water bottles very frequently. I try to avoid them whenever I can, but um, when I do buy them, I try to make sure I buy something that I can keep using. 
Now, the funny thing about this article is it said we just massively increased by $500 million our purchase of reusable water bottles. But the article goes on to say that sales of single-serving water bottles have also been rising steadily, reaching 11.3 billion gallons in 2022. This is according to the most recent data from the Beverage Marketing Association, which tracks beverage sales. In other words, the article says, consumers are spending billions of dollars a year on reusable water to stay hydrated and then buying bottled water anyway, even as faucet water remains free. And so it's saying, yeah, we have these, but many, many people buy these in mass quantities and use them even on a daily, sometimes even an hourly basis. And not only is that bad for the environment, it's, it's just causing a lot of waste and pollution and filling up our oceans with plastics and everything else. And so the article was trying to point out the irony or the, the, the disparity in, in our buying habits where, yes, we buy the, renew, the reusable water bottle, but then we buy the one-time use plastics over and over and over again. And I wanted to just take this time to encourage you whenever you can to avoid buying those single serving, the one time use plastic water bottles, to have a reusable water bottle that you carry with you. Hopefully you won't lose it as much as I do. And to use that for most of your hydrating needs. Um, you know, this is as... Uh, Environmental issues are coming more and more to the forefront, right? The whole um, waste that comes from plastic bottles. And if you do buy a plastic bottle, buy one that you can use over and over again. So you're not buying them constantly and, re and, and not reusing them or recycling them at least. So I, I just wanted to start this episode of my second coffee by encouraging you to do that. And I said the article in the New York Times pointed out some funny things. And one of the things they said at the very end is they interviewed some guy who um, was like, why don't you just drink out of the faucet? They pointed out how there was this one guy who would go to hotels and he would fill his water bottle with ice from the ice machine, but he wouldn't take water from the faucet or from the tap in the hotel. And just pointing out how ironic that was, right? We trust the ice maker, but we don't trust the faucet. Um, and the article ended by this guy saying, why don't you just drink from the hose, right? And of course, it's Gen X. It's my generation who said, yeah, we grew up going into people's yards and drinking from their garden hose that was that was in their front lawns. And that's how we hydrated ourselves when we were outside playing uh, in the evenings after school until the streetlights came on. So anyway, I thought it was kind of a funny little quip there they had. But yeah, I want to encourage people to make sure you're staying hydrated. Drink as much water as, as you can. Not to overdo it. Um, I read an article the other day about someone who actually, uh, you can you can actually uh, become very sick from drinking too much water. Um, so you should drink water, um, not gulping a lot of water at one time, but uh, allowing your body time to process the water and don't um, overfill yourself with too much water at any single time. Um, but anyway, make sure you stay well hydrated, avoid sodas, drink more water. Now, the article I wanted to talk about more in depth, and I want to remind you of a discussion we had just a few weeks ago regarding um, this dam removal project that was taking place in Oregon and Washington. 
And I'm going to put the article to that in the chat here. Um, if you want to take a look at that, it's the largest dam removal project. Um, and it's the, uh, the removal of the Klamath dams um, and restoring, allowing the native nations of those areas to bring that land back to health. Um, and obviously this is, uh, this is a very important thing that we need to do, but, uh, let, so we post this article here, there's the AP article. And I want to bring that up because there was a report that came out and this was just this past month. This was a few weeks ago, earlier in August. And I first learned about the report from a, uh, a new site called The Hill which does political reporting, mostly, at, well, it's political reporting in the U.S. Capitol. And um, they posted this article titled, More Than a Million Acres of U.S. Tribal Lands Are Submerged by Dams, According to a Recent Study. And the report in the article was mostly from the abstract of the report, but I just want to read some of these of these stats to you. The construction of dams in the U.S. has resulted in the flooding of a Rhode Island-sized swath of tribal lands, a new study found. Ever since European settlers arrived some 500 years ago, tribal nations have endured land dispossession, including the establishment of federal reservations, the removal of tribes to Indian Territory, our modern-day Oklahoma. This is noted by the researchers. To gain a clearer picture of just how much dam-driven loss has occurred, the authors considered geospatial data from federal Indian reservations and from the Oklahoma tribal statistical areas in the U.S. Census, which delineated regions that formerly had reservations in Oklahoma. After looking at these two data sets together and overlying them um, with the locations of about almost 8,000, 7.9 thousand dams in the U.S., they estimated that 139 dams have submerged more than 600,000 acres of land on 56 federal reservations. And then there was an additional 287 dams that inundated more than 511 acres of land in 19 Oklahoma tribal statistical areas. Taken together, the total flooding likely amounts to an area larger than the Great Smoky Mountain National Park, the Grand Teton National Park, and Rocky Mountain National Park combined. So that article obviously caught my attention, and I went to find the study that was actually re, um, was, was released. I'm going to put the abstract and the, the, the main site for that study here. And then I'm going to also link uh, a link to the PDF of the study. So the study was titled Dams and Tribal Land Loss in the United States. And right, what was seen in the abstract was fairly clear. Um, they included a map in, this, uh, in the report. And I want to share this map with you now because it allows you to see um, some of just the dams that they're talking about. But let me share, put this onto the screen here. So they said there was 159 dams basically around the country located on reservations. And then you can see the 287 dams that were found primarily in Oklahoma. You can see all of those black dots in the state of Oklahoma. And these are where dams have been placed on tribal lands 
and right flooding more than a half a million acres of tribal lands. Um, and it, it points out that throughout the history of this country, uh, this the government has been working to dispossess native nations of our lands. I want to I read to you exactly how extensive that was, because the way this report put it, it kind of blew my mind. It said, and I'm just going to read this from the report. As a result of these various forms of land seizure, reservations, allotment, other things like that, removal, 42% of the tribes that were historically present in the U.S. no longer maintain any land. And among tribes that do have land today, land holdings average just 2.6% of the tribe's original territory. As of 2019, federal tribal land holdings across the entire U.S. totaled approximately 70 million acres, which amounts to less than 3% of the country's total land area. In the U.S., therefore, settler colonialism has resulted in the near-complete taking 97% of indigenous land. Again, these are staggering amounts, right? And it's important to note, even of the lands we hold, reservation lands, these are not our lands. These are, these are tribal, these are federal trust lands held for us by the federal government. So we don't even have land. We don't even have title or sovereignty over the lands we do possess, right? 97% of all tribal holdings of the lands of Turtle Island have now been dispossessed. And one of the methods of dispossessing lands was the building of dams, and that primarily took place from the late 1800s to the mid-1900s, when hundreds, thousands of dams were built and hundreds of thousands of tribal lands were flooded. It points out in this article or in this study that, again, most of the flooding obviously occurred in the river valleys, which were some of the most fertile lands reservations had and some of the most populous lands that reservations had. And most of the dams were built to satisfy the needs of whether it's water or whether it's the development of electricity, the production of, a, production of electricity or whatever else you're building the dam for, it's for needs of those living outside the reservation. The study proposes several solutions. A, removing the dams as they're doing in Oregon and Utah with the, the, the Klamath dam removal. Um, for dams that are actually helping tribal nations, we could work on reinforcing our, 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 our repairing those dams and making sure that they're serving the native peoples as best they can. And then the fourth, the third suggestion they made is that why not return control of these dams to the native nations whose lands they're on? And it said here, and I just want to read this, this section, this is in the conclusion. It says, a larger point about dams is not solely about the physical infrastructure, but the social and political context that produced them. Dams were built on the continent's waterways with little regard for past tribal water practices and knowledge or for reservation land claims. 
As we have demonstrated throughout this paper, Indian land was not simply dispossessed from tribes in a process of settler colonial expansion, but was also submerged in the re-engineering of the continent's rivers and lakes. At the root of these multiple forms of land and water dispossession was the disempowerment of native people. Although dam removal is not the only solution, it is an important component that should be prioritized in federal policy. A more far-reaching resolution to the issue of existing dams and the future of waterways in the U.S. is to amplify the power of the tribes in the federal system to strengthen tribal sovereignty over their land and water. And I applaud this report, right? I absolutely would agree with that, that Native nations need to be given control over these structures that were built on their land so they could decide what to best do with it, right? Just as we saw a few weeks ago with the Klamath River Valley, how it's the Native nations that are advocating for the removal of these dams so they can nurse the land back to health, right? Native nations have been using these lands for hundreds, even thousands of years. We have a relationship with the land. We know best how to live, live sustainably here, and we need to have much greater influence over how these lands and these waterways are used and not these colonial powers and peoples who have no relationship to the land and see it only as a resource for their financial gain. So I applaud this study. Now, I want to bring this back to a conversation we had just a few weeks ago regarding... Um, regarding uh, what's been going on here uh, with on my land, my, my nation, the Navajo Nation, and what's been happening with us um, regarding our lands. And there's an article I want to share. It was in uh, ProPublica, and let me find it here a minute. It is, I hope I didn't copy it over. Shoot, let me find it really quick. Um... Give me just a second to look this up. There's a great article in ProPublica. Um, it's titled, here it is right here. I'm going to put this into the chat. Um, and this is regarding the... Uh, this is regarding the Supreme Court's case just a few uh, just a few weeks ago, basically saying that the federal government was not responsible for the land or the water assessing the water rights of Native nations. Right. So this was what the Supreme Court ruled literally just a few weeks ago, and the the quote that was given in this article. Um, in the opinion, the majority opinion written by uh, Brett Kavanaugh said that, let me find the actual quote here so I can read it to you. Justice Kavanaugh said, the tribe's treaties do not impose a duty on the United States to take affirmative steps to secure water for the tribe. <clears throat> That's what the Supreme Court ruled just literally a few weeks ago. And now this report comes out that hundreds of thousands of native lands are submerged beneath water 
behind dams built by the U.S. government and local communities for their use, for their benefit, not for the Native nation's benefit primarily. It dispossessed us of our lands, literally stole reservation lands from us by submerging them underwater for the purpose of somehow benefiting the majority uh, populations outside of our reservations. And then when we go to court and say, we would like you to assess our lands and our, our use for water and how we're going to um, uh, get water to our lands, the Supreme Court says, we have no obligation to do this for you. This, my relatives, is the conundrum that every Native nation faces when dealing with this government. The United States government, both at the state and federal level and local levels, is so absolutely colonial to its core that we are given very little agency even to advocate for our rights, let alone to attain them. And so this whole issue of water and sovereignty and native nations and the dispossession of land, right? This is all of this is working together. This is why that Supreme Court decision of just a few weeks ago was so important in the Navajo, the, the Navajo Nation versus the state of Arizona, right? This is why it was so important. Because not only are we not, is the government saying we don't have any obligation to you, but they're literally using water to steal our lands. And then when we try to advocate for our rights, they wipe their hands and say, we have no responsibility for you. And this is, this is just another demonstration of the challenges we face as Native nations to live sustainably. And this shows the ex massive extent of work we have to do to educate this colonial nation about what it means to live as good stewards of the lands that we're so dependent upon for our existence. Anyway, I just wanted to point those things out. So while the nation is screaming back and forth about Trump, and trying to find a way to actually hold a white landowning male accountable for a problem, for crimes, we also have to realize that same constitution is being used to continue to dispossess natives of the land. So, right, this is the problem with our constitution. It was never written to hold white landowning men accountable. This is why they're moving so slowly. And this is why Trump is going to be able to delay this, this case for so long because the document that the justice system of this nation was not written to hold white landowning men accountable. That's not the purpose of the constitution. The purpose of the constitution is to do exactly what I'm talking about here. How do we dispossess natives of their lands? How do we take control and keep control of Turtle Island? How do we extract every usable resource from this land 
so that the majority population, the white European Christians, can continue to gorge themselves on the resources they're stealing from so many other people. So anyway, these are the things I wanted to talk and share with you. I hope this stuff is helpful, my relatives. Um, it's good to be back. I, I, uh, and I'm glad to be back with my family. I have a very busy season of travel coming up over these next several weeks. I'll be traveling to Denver next week um, to do an event in Denver next Friday. And then I go to Montana um, the week after that on Monday and on Tuesday and Wednesday of the following week. No, Monday and Tuesday, I'll be in Montana. So a week from this coming Monday, doing some events in northern Montana. And then I will be going, be going to North Carolina to do an event in North Carolina at the end of the, or early in September. But anyway, my schedule is going to start getting more and more busy over the next several weeks, going into obviously October and November, which are the busiest months of my speaking schedule every year. So um, I appreciate you taking some time to join me for a cup of coffee. I hope you have a good day. Hope you have a wonderful weekend, my relatives. Walk in beauty. And may we all learn how to walk in beauty together. Huckle on that.